In the 1930s, a study was began by Harvard University on adult development, which in turn turned out to be the longest study on adult development in history. They took 700 boys and young men from both high and low income spectrums across the Boston area. And over the next 75 years, and even up until the present day, about every year to two years, they evaluate where these boys are at. But what turned out to be a study on adult development actually took a little bit of a turn and turned into a long-term study on happiness and what it takes to be happy for the long run. So I ask you, what do you think the researchers discovered? Take a look at your own life. What is it that makes you happy? Where is happiness found for yourself? Or if you look at, at the world around you, who or what are the things that people chase after to find happiness? There are many answers to this question, and none of them is completely right or wrong, but I do believe that there's sort of this continuum of happiness that begins with very temporary to long-term. So what do you think these Harvard people discovered? Was it success, wealth, achievement? Was it possessions or the newer, bigger, better? Was it gaining fame and fortune? No, it was none of those things. What they discovered that led to long-term sustained happiness was healthy relationships. That there was no other factor across all the people that they could find except healthy relationships that led towards long-term happiness. And I believe that joy is found in relationships. As the researchers took a look, they could even look at the study group who is now in their late 80s or or mid-80s. They could look, and in their 50s, they could predict how the rest of their life was going to play out based off of the relational health in their 50s. And again and again, it related back to healthy relationships. I wonder, as our society becomes more lonely, if that connects back to physical and mental unhealth because of broken relationships. And today, as we continue this series, God with us, the word Advent Advent means coming. That we celebrate that over 2,000 years ago, one came, his name was Jesus. And he was born, and he lived, and he died a criminal's death, but he didn't stay dead, he resurrected from the dead. And we celebrate his first coming, but we also look forward that one day he is coming again. And we live in that in-between And we can find joy in both the first and second coming. Now in our English language, joy is not a term that many of us use. I haven't been standing in somebody's house and have them say to me, you know, my kids bring me joy. You usually don't hear things like that. We don't use that word on a normative basis. But for the people at that time, joy was a common word. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there's over 10 words used for joy. And they encompass both what's happening on the inside and the expression of joy on the outside. Because joy is experienced first in the inside, and then it flows to the outside and is seen in how we live. 
The book of Psalms in the Old Testament is a compilation of songs. And in these songs, you see everything from ecstatic joy to mourning to contemplative to these spontaneous outbursts of praise. But throughout the Psalms, you discover that there's a good amount of songs with joy as a theme to them. One of them is in Psalm 98, verses 4 to 6. And the psalmist writes this, Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horns. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. You can see in these verses the sense of inward joy is just spilling out to those around them and out into songs. That when we have joy going on inside us, it will translate to the world around us. For any sports fan, you know the feeling of spontaneous joy. If your team scores a goal or a touchdown or hits a home run or whatever sport you're into, there's this spontaneous outburst of joy. You don't need somebody to tell you to cheer now. Like, okay, it's the appropriate time to cheer. No, if you know what's going on in the game, you will spontaneously respond to that. Or if they do some bonehead maneuver, you'll respond and probably groans and anger and whatever else. You don't have to go far online to discover videos of people who support different teams shouting and going crazy when they do something good or breaking things when something bad happens. Because there's this spontaneousness of what's happening on the inside flows to the outside. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, we should experience joy. Joy on the inside And there should be times that we actually break out into spontaneous praise. I don't know the last time or if ever you had a spontaneous praise moment with God. For me, it's usually in my car. That I'll be driving along and a song will come on and I just won't be able to help belting that song out. I don't do that in church because my voice is not that good. I know a couple times my mic has gotten left on during worship and I just stopped singing. But I remember one day driving in my van and a song came in and I was just feeling it and there was this kind of overwhelming spontaneous praise. So I just cranked it up on the radio and as I'm worshiping, I blew both my front speakers. And so my spontaneous moment had long-term consequences. But every time I'd turn on that radio, I'd know the moment and why it happened. Because there was this overwhelming sense that I just wanted to, you know, praise God with everything that I had in that moment. Now, don't misunderstand me. All of life is not this spontaneous praise, crank up the radio type moments. There's the other side, too where I've heard that same song come on and I was not in the mood and I just wanted to shut it off and not even hear it. And I think this is the beauty of Scripture. It embraces all of life. In another psalm, it was written during the captivity of Israel. The Israelites had been taken away to a foreign land, Babylon, and now the captors were asking them to sing these songs of joy. And in verses 3 to 4 in Psalm 137, this is what we read. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? 
You can feel the tension. They have this repertoire of joyful songs, but their whole mood and state and condition is saying, how can I even think of singing a song like this? Have you been there? Captive in a foreign land? Maybe you feel like that as culture shifts. But maybe it's not captive in a foreign land. Maybe it's captive to an illness, a fractured relationship, an addiction. Maybe it's captive to a lost job or debt or captive to a rebellious child. There's things in our life that wear down on us and we easily can say in those moments, how can I sing these songs of joy in the situation that I'm in? You expect me to sing these songs? Do you know what's happening in my life? And in that moment, all of us will make a decision to be led by what's happening in our lives and to allow our circumstances to control us or to say, you know, I'm going to grab a hold of God and hold on to the joy that can only be found in Him. And I believe in those moments where we find that verse that relates to our lives or that song comes on and we go, boy, that is the song I need right now. And even though I'm not feeling like it, I need to sing this song out to God. Think about the last week of your life. What was the range of emotions that you experienced? Or what was the general mood of your week? Was it stressed, relaxed, Angry, sad, happy, depressed, energized, demotivated? What was it that characterized your life over the last week? Because I believe as followers of Jesus, we should have this underlying and overarching sense of joy that even in the midst of the moods and the changes of circumstances, that should be a trajectory of our life. Also, as you look across the Old Testament, you see that for the nation of Israel, there was appointed times. There was times where they were told that the nation would come together and rejoice, or the nation would come together and mourn. There's also spontaneous times of praise and joyfulness, or spontaneous times of mourning or repentance. And the the community of Israel participated in the whole range of emotions, and we need to do the same. We need to be able to say, when difficult things are happening, I need to be in the midst of that and experience that and feel that, but somehow come back to joy. Whereas the psalmist writes in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I believe that as we discover joy and as we focus on joy in God, we also will discover something amazing, that he finds joy and delight in us. In the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament, there's two verses in chapter 3. It's verse 14 and 17. And between those two verses, there's eight references to joy. Half of the verse is focused on you responding in joy to God, and the other half is him responding in joy to you. So in verse 14, we read this. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So we see in the first half this prophet writing and telling the people to sing, have joy, shout. You see this spontaneousness that if we know who God is, there should be this spontaneous praise to God. 
But then we see conversely on the other side of what God is doing to us. It states in verse 17, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. All of the highlighted words that you see up there speak of joy. That when God looks at you, the expression on his face is not disappointment, frustration, anger. It is joy and delight. That he looks at you and he delights in you. He loves to be with you. How many people do you know that delight to be with you? You can tell right away if somebody's happy to see you or not. And there's certain people that you know you just connect with and delight with. And others that you go, boy, I could tell I wasn't on their top ten list. This morning as my daughter played violin up here, there's a moment of delight for me of, boy, my daughter's getting old. She's getting pretty good on violin too. I remember the other day with my four-year-old daughter, she came down the steps in the morning wearing her little polka dot pajamas. And there's just this moment that she was in front of me that I just simply was delighted to be with her. That was it. And when you look at God, do you believe that he delights in you? Do you believe that his expression is joy-filled? Because I believe that as we find joy in God, we will know that he delights in us. As we worship God and praise God, there's this two-way relationship that's happening. That he is smiling upon us and finding great delight in us. For a long time, I functioned with this unrealistic definition of joy. I thought joy meant this smile on my face at all times and not to be so happy and, you know, bubbly. And that's not necessarily me. And life has a way of kicking that type of personality out of most of us. But I remember early on as I was following Jesus that like the first six months was like a honeymoon for me. Like I was just so excited that I knew this God who loved me and my life was just being transformed and there was this sense of just overwhelming delight and joy. But over time that faded. And I realized that that isn't necessarily how all of life is lived. That there's difficult things we face There's challenges we go through, but I believe that the underlying and overarching theme of our life should have this this vein of joy, this joy found in relationship with God and one another. Now, depending, depending on how you define it, happiness and joy can overlap. That we don't use the word joy, and we've kind of replaced it with a word happiness, but I think there's this continuum that we begin with happiness and we can end up at sustained joy. There was an ancient philosopher named Aristotle. He lived around 300 years before Jesus was born. And he came up with this kind of continuum or stages of happiness that went from very short-term instant to long-term eternal. And I believe it's a great pattern for how we can look at happiness and also joy in our life. 
And in this first stage, I've rephrased this in my own words, but in this first stage, I would call it now. It's the now happiness. It's the instant gratification. It's that we find happiness in getting something right now. It is fast food happiness. That you eat it, it feels good for a moment, but it really doesn't satisfy long term. And you see this, it's about maximizing pleasure now and minimizing pain. It's all about you. And it's momentary and not lasting. You see that instant happiness at Christmas time. When a kid gets a present and they're so happy and they rip it open and they're overjoyed until they look at what their sibling got. And the happiness is gone and for some reason they aren't happy. But maybe we don't do that as adults in that way or show it on our sleeve, but there are other moments that we have of that instant momentary gratification that doesn't last. That doesn't go beyond. Maybe it's that new car and, it, and I'm happy and I'm joy-filled, but then there's the dent or the stain or the kid. And that joy is gone and fleeting. And there is joy found in there. There is happiness in there, but it's momentary. It's temporary. It's instant. It's fast food. Now the second stage, I call it the me stage. And this is happiness that is based on ego and accomplishment. It's about self-promotion. It's about being better than someone else and comparing yourself to somebody else to make yourself feel better than them. It's about you fulfilling your hopes and dreams. It's short-term gratification. It's about hitting those goals and feeling that sense of accomplishment. But then there's always another goal to hit. Always another mountain to climb. And it's temporary. It's longer than the instant, but it's still temporary. And what happens when that happiness fades? When you accomplish those dreams? Or what happens if you don't accomplish your dreams? That happiness can easily disappear. Economist Richard Easterlin conducted a social survey of the American people. And he had all these people from all different walks of life participate in this survey. And what he did is they asked them to examine their lives and what they found made a good life. The possessions that they possessed to make a good life. Such as a house, a car, appliances, vacations, luxuries. And to start the survey, they were asked to check off the the items in the list that they already had. Then they were asked what items they wanted to work towards for the sustained happiness and good. Sixteen years later, they interviewed the same people. Same list. And what do you think they discovered? Well, what they discovered that Throughout their adult lives, the majority of people progressed from owning a few things to owning more of those things. At that 16 years earlier, they thought that sustained happiness was found in owning a house, having a car, and a decent TV. But then fast forward 16 years, and that happiness point from, went from that to owning two homes, a vacation home, having a couple vehicles taking the -the around-the-world trip. But what happened was the point for sustained happiness moved. Early on, they said, if I have two items, 
I'll have to get to four to be happy. But when they had three items, they felt like they needed five to be happy. And so the position was always elusive for happiness. That once I get to that point or accumulate these things, then I will have happiness. But what was discovered, there was no impact on their sustained long-term happiness by what they owned. Because it was always elusive. And the now and the me will always discover that that long-term happiness and joy is elusive. Now the third stage of happiness is give. That we come to a point and say, man, if I'm able to give to others, then I will be happy. And this is where you see billionaires committing to giving away the majority of their wealth before the end of their lives. This is where you see people serving sacrificially and giving things away to others. And there is joy found there. There's happiness found there. All of us have been hopefully on the giving end of something and that sense of joy as somebody else received what we have been given. We're going to do that today as we practice giving baked breakfast to the men over at the homeless shelter. There's a feel-good sense in that and it's a a longer-term sustained happiness. It feels good to give. Jesus even said it is more blessed to give than to receive. But there's something beyond even giving in what I call the fourth and highest stage, which is simply being alive. And this is about being fully alive, not in what you have, not in what you accomplish, not in what you're giving, but fully alive in relationships. Fully alive in relationship with God and with one another. That as we identify that I will never find happiness in things, in accomplishment, and even giving things away, but ultimately I will find joy in relationship. First with God, and then with one another. And this is where it leads to eternal joy. That it's something that surpasses and transcends everything around us. Think about this. At a Christian funeral, it is so much different than many other funerals. Why? Because as followers of Christ, we believe that when a person dies, if they have trusted in Jesus, that is not the end. That is just a comma. That is just a change of address. But we believe that they are fully alive in the presence of God. So those loved ones who've known Jesus, who have gone before us, we hold on to the hope that they are eternally alive and we will exist in eternal relationship, not only with God, but with those who have trusted in Jesus. The eternal hope, the eternal joy found in relationship with God and with one another. So where is it that you find most of your happiness? Are you trying to find it in the now or the me or the giving or in relationships, both with God and with each other? And in all these stages, there's a level of joy and there's a level of happiness. And I believe we need to embrace all of that. But let's bring it back around. On the night Jesus was born, joy was proclaimed to the world. God knew that the coming of Jesus would bring joy with him and would address both temporary and eternal needs. 
There was rejoicing on the day of his birth. As he ministered to people and healed people and saw people's lives transformed, they were filled with joy. More than one instance in the New Testament when somebody was healed or set free by Jesus, it says, and that person went away rejoicing, filled with joy. But even that is temporary. There was joy found in the sacrifice of Jesus for us. But I believe that joy even transcended the sacrifice and looked towards that eternal restored relationship between humanity and God found in Jesus Christ. We see Jesus demonstrate that he brings joy in all of those levels. So where do we go from here? First, I believe we need to identify Where it is that you are seeking for happiness and joy? Are you putting it all in the now or the me or the give or in eternity? Because I believe we need to have joy diversified (laughs) across all those spectrums. But if we're only looking at the now, we'll never be joy-filled people. And we need to be involved in all these, these different areas of life. And I believe that we need to celebrate all the stages. We need to celebrate in the midst of this. When my kids are opening presents at Christmas, I need to be joy-filled for them and alongside them and rejoice with them in that moment. But I know, they might not know, it's probably going to be short-lived. We need to rejoice in people's accomplishments. That maybe some of you are graduating right now at Christmas. And we need to rejoice with them and celebrate your accomplishments. But also we need to recognize that that doesn't lead to completely sustained joy. Or I know many of you are giving generously during this time of year, and I thank you for how many of you have given generously to the church here. You enable us to continue to fulfill our mission here. And you should find joy in that. It shouldn't be like grudgingly, like, something to the church. It should be joy-filled to give. It says in Scripture, God loves a cheerful giver. And even as you give to family and as you give to friends and others even beyond, I hope it is a joy-filled moment and it's sustaining as you see how that enables people to live better lives or encounter Christ. But also we need to look at that eternal and see that joy found in relationships of simply being with God and being with each other in healthy relationship leads to that eternal joy. And remember that last thing Eternal joy is only found in being fully alive in Jesus. So I ask you in this season, maybe for some of you, you have never said yes to Jesus and the joy that he offers you. And what a great season to say yes to the life that God offers you. For some of us as followers of of Christ, we might have lost our joy. Our joy maybe was taken away by circumstances. Or I've gotten so wrapped up in a different thing of now or me or giving that I forgot that in Jesus and in healthy relationships there's incredible joy. And during this season, just come back and remember that true, lasting, eternal joy is only found in Jesus. But I'd encourage you to embrace all of life and discover joy. And that eternal joy in Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are such a great God. 
And you are the one that came up with the emotion of joy and the concept of joy and that we can have joy-filled lives in you. And God, as we go through this Christmas and Advent season, may you help us to rediscover joy. May we celebrate those instant gratification things, but no, that's only fast food. May we see how it's incredible that you help us to discover joy and accomplishments, but that our ego is only going to take us so far. May you help us to see the joy in giving beyond ourselves, but also simply discovering that joy and being fully alive in you and fully alive in relationship with others. God, for those who are here who have not yet encountered you, Jesus, may they say yes to you today. And for those of us who have lost our joy, may you return the joy of our salvation. And for those who are filled with joy, may that overflow into the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.